Hey, everyone. We want to take a moment to tell you about the sponsor of this podcast, Roosevelt. You may know Roosevelt as the company who makes those rad, all-over print button-downs with just about every franchise that you love. They, of course, have Star Wars, because this is a Star Wars podcast, but they also have Harry Potter, Disney, Pixar, Marvel, NASA, WWE, The Office, Nickelodeon, Rick and Morty, Friends, all kinds of other stuff, including new lines from Yellowstone and The Godfather. And not just button-downs, but t-shirts. They do shorts, jackets, hoodies, koozies, flannels, so many different kinds of items, so many dope designs. So if you're interested in picking something up for the first time, go to rsvlts.com and use promo code THANKTHEMAKER with no spaces to get 20% off your first purchase. Once again, that's rsvlts.com. Use promo code THANKTHEMAKER to get 20% off of your first purchase. Hello there and welcome to Thank the Maker, a podcast about heroes, princesses, scoundrels, hokey religions, ancient weapons, and all things Star Wars. I'm Adam Russell. And I am Mike Forster. We have a guest today as our friends uh, doing musical stuff or having babies are uh, a little preoccupied right now, which is really neat. It's very selfish if you ask me. So I selfish, agree. dude. I really agree. Families, jobs, get out of here. I know. Anyway, returning guest, good friend, and yet another bass player, Dion Rex wrote for Man Berlin. What's up, bud? How you doing? Doing Star Warsingly well this holiday season. Oh, so good. Fear not, uh, our, our, our normal co-hosts, hosts, whatever we call ourselves, uh, Nick is in the studio with Bayside, which is very exciting for everybody. Mm-hmm. And Ryan Key uh, is any minute now, any day now, any week within the next couple of days, <laughs> popping out that little baby boy. So we, uh, we, well, he's watching his wife pop out the boy. Um, well, that's true. He's, uh, helping, um, with loud words of support. One would hope. Uh, and, uh, one would hope. And then also staying out of the uh, way of the actual medical professionals who will help his wife. Yeah. That has to be advised. That, that was my move. I just tried to stay out of the way of the people who actually knew what they were doing. Yeah. Right. Right. I, I tried to, I was like, does anyone need like, Humor. Maybe need a soda. Yeah, they were like, "Nope, we don't need that either." I was like, "That's good. Just let me know. I am good to go whenever." Um, and uh, yeah, I never came down from that adrenaline rush. At uh, that was it. That was seven years ago. So we're very excited for Ryan. We'll obviously keep everyone updated, and uh, Nick should be back with us, I believe, uh, in two weeks. Right? Hey, speak for speak for yourself about being excited because if this kid pops out on Friday on my birthday and steals my birthday, I'm gonna beat the kid's ass. Right out of the womb, I'm going to punch him out. I'm actually now. Now that you now that you said that, I think a Friday baby. This has to happen. This is very. Oh. This is very exciting. Mm-hmm. Okay, this is good. Yeah, there goes anyone named Ryan Key. Mm-hmm. Uh, chances of that man showing up to any birthday party I, I, I ever have. Not that I've ever had a birthday party that he's been to. So this is kind of pointless. to I'm going to say but, he should name his son Adam Russell if the baby is born on Friday. Good name, dude. According to some important books, first dude ever was named Adam. Yeah. At least one book says that. At least one. That is accurate. It's not uh it's not the Jedi texts. It's actually the OT of books in, in that way. So I can I, yeah. can, I like that. Can we just start referring it to the original trilogy? <laughs> the OT, yeah. right? Right. And the new trilogy. Are you a new trilogy guy? No, I'm an original trilogy guy. It's fine. Yeah. I'm actually an OT guy. You know what I mean? I'm in more of that Sodom and Gomorrah kind Fire of stuff. Fire and brimstone kind of stuff. That's more yeah, my vibe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's what I'm into. Yeah, it went real super hippie in the, the new trilogy. <laughs> 
right? It's like a little too new school for me. I'm not really, you know, into that whole part of it. Um, <laughs> exciting episode we have today, Adam. I think uh, yes, for, for you to bring this out and say, we're going to do a podcast on this weird movie that shouldn't be that weird to our fandom. And I remember seeing it and having a lot of feelings about it, but didn't really, wasn't with my community back then, right? Yeah. So what are we doing today? We're talking about a movie that's almost 15 years old, a movie called Fanboys, which you know if you're, if you're looking at the title of this on your podcatcher or on YouTube. You should know the basic premise of this. If you're a Star Wars fan and you're listening to this, you're watching this. It's about a group of uh, Star Wars fans, a group of friends in 1998 who take a trip, a road trip to Skywalker Ranch to steal a rough cut of Star Wars Episode One: The Phantom Menace before it comes out for their dying friend who has terminal cancer and may not make it to the release of the film. And it is, uh, it's a movie that has a really interesting backstory. The behind-the-scenes stuff is, is pretty intense. It's stuff that we, I, I don't think any of the three of us knew anything about until this week when we started doing research. And it's also a movie that I haven't seen. I had, I had not seen a single scene at all until this week. Mike, you mentioned on the live before that you had seen it in college, but you totally forgot. Seen yeah, it. so like at the at the time, I remember watching it because like I think for most people who are curious of going, what is this? Um, fanboys, of course, makes it sound like it in some ways is a fan film, but uh, it it almost has the marketing for it in a weird way. It's like the the cover of one of the leading key arts for it is Darth Vader's helmet on what essentially would be Steve Carell's 40-year-old virgin. Yes. With with the golden background, right? So like that was yes. a huge, so already right there, you're like, is this like a ripoff? Is this a parody? What is this? And then when you go to watch it, you find out that it's like Danny McBride and Seth Rogen, like Jay Barakal and like all these like big name comedy. All the Judd Apatow people. Yeah, exactly. At the, at, the, at the time, it's 2009, right? So like they were just, they were getting going. And at this point, those guys were like kind of transitioning out of Will Ferrell comedy. Um, and getting into this new, the Judd Apatow era, just like Dion said. Um, so there's a lot of reasons why, like, I think this movie doesn't make sense of the reception that it got, but then watching it again, I'm like, this does make sense why <laughs> that it got. Uh, so it's very interesting. I, I'm, I'm curious to hear our discussion on this one. Dion, what was your experience, um, prior to rewatching it for this or watching it at all? So, uh, you're you're familiar with uh, Joey from our band, Joey Milligan. Um, mm -hmm. You and I had a slight discussion about this. I, I asked you who was like the guy that always like has the TV on, something going. And Joey is the guy in our band that when we're on tour, there's always like a movie or something going on, and he, I mean, he's always got he's always got something on. And this was one of those movies years ago before um, before we took a hiatus which we called it breaking up, ended up being hiatus. Um, as one does, as <laughs> uh, bands do now. This is, it's, it's, yeah, you yeah. know, we took, we took a break. We were on a break. Yeah. We were on a break. <laughs> so around the time this movie came out and for a couple of years after, like it was, it was on in our bus a lot, but I, it wasn't one that I actually sat down and watched. So I saw, I, I would say I probably saw most of the movie in pieces, Tarantino, style like right. i just not you know non-sequential just saw uh, and i was kind of like yeah huh. you know i'd check in every now and then i go about my day or whatever and um a few nights ago was the first when adam asked me about uh coming on this week was the first time i actually watched the movie from beginning to end um since probably the first time i saw a scene 
and the movie was back in 2010, 2011, um, you know, by the time it got to DVD. Right. So it was interesting to actually put all the pieces in order and experience the movie and the actual story. I, I honestly, I knew the core storyline of people were trying to steal a Star Wars film before it comes out. Uh, I didn't know about the cancer subplot. I didn't, there, there was just so much that I didn't mm -hmm. know about, about the movie because I just, thickens. yeah, uh, it thickened a little. It was like, it was still, it wasn't quite a gravy. It wasn't quite a stew. It wasn't quite a soup. Mm -hmm. It was some, it was, it was a little bit in between, you know? Yep. Yeah. So, um, yeah, but, uh, I, yeah, I will say I actually, I, I always thought it was a movie that I hated or didn't care for. Um, but I enjoyed it. I, it was, it was, uh, it was all right. You know, was, I, I think as a, as a star Wars fan, I kind of, it kind of took me back, it, which is, it's funny that Adam hit me up because I just finished on Friday rewatching the prequel trilogy. Nice. Oh, okay. So when he texted me about fanboys, it's like, well, yeah, I already knew it was about them trying to steal an advanced copy of uh, Phantom Menace. So I was like, oh, well, I'm fresh on that. Let's go. <laughs> but the movie kind of transported me back to that time where, uh, you know, we heard that there was a new a new Star Wars movie coming out. And it, you know, it, it transported me back to that excitement uh, in a way of going from I never thought there would be more Star Wars films to holy crap, there is a new film coming out. I, I'm excited. I can't wait for this, you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Since you mentioned that, before we get into Stolen Plans, do you have any specific memories of seeing The Phantom Menace? Do you remember what theater you were in? Like, if you lined up early, do you have any of those kind of, like, old-school movie-going memories from it? Yeah, absolutely. Were you were you in a tent? Was your girlfriend dressed as, yeah. as Princess Hutzler Leia? Like, what, what, what do you remember? So one thing you got to know about me when I was 18, I was not a very um, desirable male, <laughs> as they would what? say. I was, I was a... I was a, uh, a, I was a, you know, pimple faced, uh, skater kid with like Jinkos cause it was the nineties. Nice. It was the style of the time. Yeah, that's what we wore. You know, so I'm wearing like the only punk rock shirts that I could get were always either large or extra large because that's Naturally. all any of the stores around me carry. So like yep. I was, I was probably wearing a Leche Con Carne, no use for name, large shirt with an undershirt underneath because sure. it was massive. Right. And super baggy jeans and skate shoes. Yep. So um, I wasn't what the ladies were looking for <laughs> in the small town of Winter Haven, Florida. <laughs> Surprisingly, <laughs> you would think that that would get me a lot of attention, but no. So no, I didn't see it with my girlfriend. I did see it with my, two of my best friends. But I grew up down the street from a guy named Adam Dennis. And he, he was uh, my brother's friend who... he. Uh, he's about a year and a half older than me. He was the same age as my brother. Um, he was... And still is a massive Star Wars fan. Um, he's the guy that I first learned that there that the original trilogy had now become episodes four, five, and six from. And this is pre-easily accessible internet days. I'm just like, I was blown away. I was like, what? Mm -hmm. There's there's gonna, there's stories before this, there's stories after this that are gonna happen, you know. And so he he was definitely one of the guys who was there opening night in a tent, you know, dressed in Jedi garb, ready to see the film. Because it was a small town, we had two theaters. Mm. And me being in high school at the time, I wasn't allowed to go camp out for three days. <laughs> right. So I didn't see it opening night. I, I saw it opening weekend, but not opening night. Yeah. And um, I do remember just hearing that, you know, 21st Century Fox mm -hmm. or 20th Century Fox at the time. The fanfare, yeah. The fanfare starting mm -hmm. and then just that moment of silence long time ago in a galaxy far, far away. And then bam, bang, Star Wars logo, bang, bang, bang. Yep. you know, and let's let, you know, to put in perspective, they had re-released re the original 
films in theaters right before this, the specialized versions. So I had experienced it as an adult in theaters um, or as a teenager more so, more specifically. So I had experienced that before, but I hadn't experienced a new film that I had not seen before in theaters in that way. So that was a crazy special moment for me. And long story short, I enjoyed the film. I walked away from it very confused because I learned a lot of new information, Mm -hmm. a lot of new information. I learned that Palpatine and Vader as we knew them in the original trilogy, were known as Sith Lords. I didn't know any of this. Like yeah. I was, I was, I was in the Star Wars lore, but I wasn't deep, deep into it. So there was a lot of new things that I learned this movie. So I, it was a lot to process for sure. And as a Star Wars fan, I appreciated. I was just like, I, I wanted more, you know, from that. And then I think, you know, as I did just, I was like, well, there were some things I didn't like too. But you know what? I still enjoyed it. You know, like seeing some new Force abilities. You know, with like. I think the first one that really got me was when Obi-Wan and Qui-Gon just take off down the, the hallway. Dash. Yeah, 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 the Force the dash. dash was yeah. just like, yeah. I was just, I was blown away. And then Qui-Gon using his lightsaber to just melt the blasting doors, oh, yeah. you know, and my friend Adam, who was reading everything he could consume about Star Wars, was like, well, he actually, when he's using his lightsaber, he can, he can increase and decrease the intensity of <laughs> the blade. And that's how he was melting door. I was like, Okay, it's track. <laughs> you know, okay, so. sure. Why not? So yeah, that. Um, so this movie, uh, fanboys watching this now in full uh, for the first time, really brought back a lot of those feelings of man. Like there was a period when there were only three films, and then we just got our worlds rocked when they said there's going to be a new film. Yeah, and we did not know what was in store for us at all. Yeah, yeah. It's really interesting, and we'll and we'll talk about this later about how different the fandom was then partially just because of where culture was partially because Mm -hmm. of how, you know, how a fan base experiences life after something is created when they're they're just in the downtime of, of no new content coming out for the most part, aside from, you know, stuff on paper, then how it was maybe after the prequels around the time that this movie was made and then how it is now, it's really interesting to compare and contrast and how we are, you know, how I, at least watching this movie, perceived the fans in the movie, the way they're portrayed. It just, it's, it's interesting. I, I won't give any opinions now, but we'll, we'll talk about it later quite a bit. Yeah. Let's go ahead and jump into Stolen Plans and get into this really deep bench of the cast and the cameos and, and all kinds of really interesting stuff that I learned about this movie this week. Hey everyone, we want to take a moment to tell you about the sponsor of this podcast, Roosevelt's. You may know Roosevelt's as the company who makes those rad, all-over print button-downs with just about every franchise that you love. They of course have Star Wars, because this is a Star Wars podcast, but they also have Harry Potter, Disney, Pixar, Marvel, NASA, WWE, The Office, Nickelodeon, Rick and Morty, Friends, all kinds of other stuff, including new lines from Yellowstone and The Godfather. And not just button-downs, but t-shirts, they do shorts, jackets, hoodies, koozies, flannels, so many different kinds of items, so many dope designs. So if you're interested in picking something up for the first time, go to rsvlts.com and use promo code THANKTHEMAKER with no spaces to get 20% off your first purchase. Once again, that's rsvlts.com. Use promo code THANKTHEMAKER to get 20% off of your first purchase. What 
premiered February 6th, 2009, written by Ernest Klein, Ernie Klein. He has screenplay and story by credits. He's the author of Ready Player One. You may know the name. He also wrote the first screenplay draft of Ready Player One. Hmm. But ultimately, um, that went on to be rewritten multiple times, just like this movie. He wrote this screenplay, and then it got a series of rewrites, uh, most notably by Adam F. Goldberg, who is best known for the Goldbergs TV show, mm-hmm. and someone named Dan Pulick, P-U-L-I-C-K. I didn't recognize the name, and I didn't recognize hardly any of his work, but he, he did go on to write Quantico, a series that I vaguely remember. It was a drama, like a, like a thriller drama on ABC that ran... Uh, 2015 to 2018. Otherwise, I don't know. I think he's done a little producing. It was directed by Kyle Newman, who prior to this had only directed a few shorts and an ABC TV movie called The Hollow, starring Kaylee Coco from uh, Big Bang Theory. He hasn't done a ton since. He's done a few, I I think a couple movies and and a few TV shows and things like that. But he has done a few notable music videos, including two for Lana Del Rey and one for Taylor Swift. Hmm. Who are those people? They're um, singers mm. from America. They're singers. They ain't good? That's what people say. They say yes. Cool. <laughs> Pretty huge ensemble cast on this one, like Mike talked about. Sam Huntington plays Eric, the lead. You may have seen him in Detroit Rock City, Not Another Teen Movie, Superman Returns. His first role, this is the funniest IMDb poll yet in the four years of this podcast. I lost my shit when I read this. I told my wife, and she about fell off the couch. His first role was in the Microsoft Windows 95 video guide as Joystick Johnny. Nice. Oh. That's a gig, baby. That's a gig. Hey, you got to start somewhere. Joystick Johnny. Joystick Johnny. Sam Huntington was like, if this was about the blossom of Michael Sarah, but if you needed someone who was like a believable, timid nerd, mm-hmm. not I wouldn't say nerd even. I would say if you needed a typical timid kid that was still like Hollywood cute enough to be believable and be able to get the girl, which is how they wrote movies back then. Um, yeah. He was it. You know what I mean? Like I, yeah. for me, like not another teen movie was one of the dumbest movies I've ever seen. And it absolutely mm-hmm. impacted yeah. my friends and I, in regards to how I can't believe Hollywood greenlit that. So like yeah. Sam Huntington to me is like, when I think of that era, I'm like, of course he's in this movie. That's who that guy is. Right. Right. It's very funny seeing him and like talk about like a Hollywood, like uh, a shelf life. Like where that, where did he go? Yeah. I mean, another one who almost could have like played his brother, but plays their friend Linus, Christopher Marquette. The Girl Next Door is probably the first time I saw him, Just Friends. And most mm-hmm. recently, it was, this was one of those things where I knew the face, but it didn't click until I read the IMDb. He was on about five episodes of Barry on HBO. Yeah. Okay. And he's really good. He's grown up to be a, a pretty solid actor. Uh, Dan Fogler plays Hutch. He's, he's a that guy, you know, him from Balls of Fury. And he was most recently in the Fantastic Beasts trilogy. Uh, he was also uh, he also played the Black Sheep Uncle in Goldberg's. So oh, there you uh, go. Adam, Adam F. Goldberg must have enjoyed like his performance or who he was as his actor. Yep. To put him in the show. Jay Baruchel, who we all know from all all the you know Seth Rogen films and everything else, he plays a character named Windows, who's like you know the resident nerd with a laptop. Of course, seeing him in Knocked Up, Tropic Thunder, this is the end. And then Kristen Bell as Zoe. Does anyone know who that is? America's Sweetheart. She's been in so many things. It's insane how long her IMDb is. Uh, Her first big role, breakout role, I guess, was Veronica Mars. Then, of course, Forgetting Sarah Marshall, The Good Place, and so on. Good Place, for anyone listening who hasn't watched The Good Place, put in the time. 
It's sure. like the most brilliant comedy I've seen in 20 years, probably. Uh, if you have kids and you maybe have let it go to Elsa's voice, uh, that's also Kristen Bell. So in terms of there you go. her and her husband, Dax, both being Michigan people, Kristen grew up, I think, across the town from me. Um, people, oh, wow. are very, people are very excited about um, about them. She's um, great. Which is great, right? It's great. Go to YouTube and find the video of uh, her meeting the sloth. Yeah, it is. That Dax set up for her. It's, it's a wholesome moment. <laughs> it's quality. Didn't she... I think uh, she specifically asked to be in Zootopia because of the sloth role. Yeah. That checks out. And it's that like tracks. she has like one line or two lines or something like that, but she's like obsessed with sloths. So right. like obsessed. She is like in Zootopia for like one line just because she got to play a sloth. Yeah. That track. You got you gotta love you gotta love an actor like that that just is like, what I get to do something I love, let's do it. Right. Yeah. yeah. One day we'll be there. Uh, and then, of course, we can't get through many 90s, 2000 movies without having some kind of uh, parental trauma, which, of course, Shooter McGavin himself, Eric's dad, Christopher McDonald, in, yes, uh, with, a, with a bodacious spray tan. It's beautiful. The guy was was was. I mean, this is a Florida. Maybe this is a Florida thing, right? I mean, he looked like yeah. he was. They were supposed to be in Ohio, but he. Looked oh like no, he, that's that's a that's a Midwestern. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He, yeah, that's a good. Well, shellac. he spends his winters in Florida. You would assume. Sure, sure. Yeah. yeah. Well, whatever they did, they shall they shall act him, and then that that and he probably lives at the villages now. Oh, he probably he definitely has a house in Clearwater Beach. Uh, I, don't, <laughs> I don't doubt it. Sure, sure. We got a lot of Ohio license plates down here throughout the year. <laughs> yeah, so. those snowbirds. I know they come in droves. Yeah. Uh, cameos. This movie dude this movie is stacked i mean let's let's get into this cameo list uh because they did the damn thing seth rogan plays three characters admiral uh holtz an alien you know an unnamed alien and a character named roach danny trejo appears as the chief jolo uh, truglio as the jail guard love that dude always love joe kevin smith as uh guy at gas station jason muse as guy at gas station number two yeah. William Shatner as himself, because he's a ham, of course. Danny McBride is the head of security, who's uncredited. Oh, really? Interesting. Oh, okay. All yeah. Right. Was this before or after Foot Fist Way? Ugh. Was he still, like, really, like, indie unknown at this point? Because, I mean, me watching it now, when Danny McBride popped up, I'm like, well, of course, here's Danny McBride. But I think if I saw this in 2009, I'd be like, I don't know who that guy is. Well, for the public... So, you know, Pineapple Express had come out the year before. Who knows when they shot this? True. You know, because th there was a bunch of resho reshoots and shit like that. So, God, I, you just made me feel so old that Pineapple Express was 2008. It's crazy, dude. Oh it, my it's gosh! Crazy. I'm thinking like I'm thinking it came out like 2015. No, or something. man. Well, I know we're, we're this is this is this is a nice moment for us. To, oh god! To realize that time has certainly moved on. Yeah. And then uh, Eastbound and Down, which was his, which was still like the opening that first season. Okay, so Danny McBride was Danny McBride at this point. Uh -huh. Yeah, yeah. So, but again, like based on what we're going to learn about the production of this movie, almost at this point, it's like you don't know what like they were. They filmed it. They showed it. They reshot it. So yeah. this this very well could have been uh, McBride showed up for two days and was like, oh, that I, I don't need to be credited for that. That's fine. And then would later find out after his career is taken off that, oh, yeah, we're going to do that movie. You, you stopped yeah. it. I mean, I don't know. Probably paid him like 500 bucks and let him hit craft yeah, services. I'm good. <laughs> I'm good, man. Yeah. <laughs> will Forte is THX security guard number four. Craig Robinson as THX security guard number five. Love Craig Robinson. Here come the Star Wars cameos. Ray Park as THX security guard number two, Peter Mayhew as himself, uncredited. Deleted scene? I don't know. I didn't see, I I didn't that. see that. Yep. 
Yeah, if you look on IMDb, there is a there's a whole separate IMDb for the deleted scenes. So I don't know. Oh, there's probably a DVD out there somewhere that is just like there, or there's probably like a, a double DVD out there that's the movie yeah. and then just all the deleted scenes. Because as we'll get into, uh, this movie has a very interesting history. Mm-hmm. So um, there's it sounds like there was a lot of content shot for the yeah. movie that didn't get yeah. into the final cut. All right, uh, Billy D. Williams as Judge Reinhold. That's just that's the character's name. He doesn't play Judge Reinhold. <laughs> uh, Carrie Fisher, what's up, mom? As the doctor, and those are the big ones. Yeah, obviously, Carrie Fisher was a huge one. Great to see her. Uh, Ethan Suppley as uh, as the chat chat forum. If you watch, my name is Earl. Oh, that's right. Yep, that's right. Yep. So yes. when they when he basically or Mall Rats, Mall Rats, yes. or uh, there was a movie Butterfly Effect. Uh, with uh, yeah. Ashton Kutcher, Butterfly Effect, yeah, uh, Evolution. Right. He's been in a ton of stuff. He's been in a ton yeah. of stuff. He's a great. Sure. He's yeah. he's a that guy. Yep. He's a yeah. He's I was gonna say he's a great that guy. I mean everything he does, any role you put him in, he's always good at that role. That's right. He's really good at being creepy. Was there anything else that we uh, that we that we missed, or like would be fun to actually go back and like actually watch it, not for the plot? Well, you could almost count this as a cameo, not not for real, but former Devo frontman. Or maybe current. I don't know. Devo's still active, right? Devo is still active. Uh, yeah. I think they're. I think they're doing some final touring. Okay. Well, uh, Mark Mothersbaugh, the frontman of Devo, uh, scored the film. He went on to do Twenty One Jump Street, Thor Ragnarok, uh, The Royal Tenenbaums. He's done a ton of stuff. Dude is it has is stacked as a as a composer for oh. uh, film. It's arguably. I mean, it's one of those people like that kind of goes under the radar. But when you look at his career of being a musician, like he is probably one of the most underrated creatives in the last since 1960. He's it. I mean, it's 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 a different level, but it's uh, you know it's odd that he and Danny Elfman both came from these like seminal kind of like 80s bands. Yeah. Right. And then they went on to score some of the most, some very iconic stuff. Yeah. I mean, obviously, I think Danny Elfman's is probably on another level. Yeah. Right. So huge cast. I mean, huge in hindsight, right? But still, big cameos, a movie that, that is made for a large segment of the population, even though a lot of studio heads might think at the time it's just for, you know, this, this little sliver of the public in the nerd fandom. Nonetheless, they put a lot into it in terms of like, getting people on board. Um, let's look at the stats. IMDb, 6.5. Metacritic, 45. That's out of 100. Rotten Tomatoes, 32%. But what about that fan score, Adam? 57. Not much better. Not killing it. <laughs> nah, nah. Here's something really interesting to me. The budget, the original budget, apparently, there, there's conflicting numbers, but I, I think I've made sense of it. 3.9 million. $3.9 million. That's like pocket change for Hollywood. That's n- nothing at all. When Hollywood used to make comedies, though. Right. Well, I'm, I'm going to put it into perspective here. Sure. Apparently, that in the end went up to $8 because there were some reshoots. Apparently, twice the cost altogether um, to go reshoot whatever percentage they, they reshot. To put this in context, other movies' budgets around the same time. Benchwarmers. You know the movie Benchwarmers with damn Napoleon Dynamite yeah. and uh, John Heater. Yeah, and David Spade. Uh, and Nick Nick Schwartzman. Schwartzman, yeah. Yep. Yeah. You know, it's not a good movie. It's a silly ass comedy. Thirty three million dollars they spent on that movie. Jeez. Super bad. Two thousand seven, twenty million. Knocked up in two thousand seven as well. Thirty million there. Pineapple Express, twenty seven million. 
forgetting Sarah Marshall, thirty million. So, so like classics minus minus bench warmers. And and yeah, I was gonna say four out of the five of those are actually revisible classics for sure. Which is interesting because at this point too, we have to also look at like the idea of where most of these actors were, right? Like yeah, at this point. The I think Kristen Bell was probably the biggest name in for forgetting Sarah Marshall. Like this was like Russell Brand's like real first like introduction mm-hmm. to a lot of whatever he would end up, what chaos he would go to sow. But um, and then from there you have like Mila Kunis who is in Forgetting Sarah Marshall. So like mm-hmm. you're kind of looking at this film specifically, fanboys is like there wasn't really many big hitters that were you know it's like you you look at the original actor who plays uh, Hutch, right, was kind of like the poor man's version of like if Jack Black's not available. <laughs> you know yeah. what I mean? Um, and and at that point, you had a lot of like those physical, like generally like, you know, stout dude is fully aware that he's not, you know, a uh, uh, Chris Hemsworth physique and he like kind of leans right. into it. Like we've seen that that trope, you know, he's almost like a, a the Farley-esque comedy of like being completely over the top yeah. and being unafraid. He's, a, he's, a, he's a, a physical actor. Right, right. But what's interesting about this is that like when we're looking at the story of it, so many of these other movies, the audience was so much wider mm-hmm. versus the idea that you have to be a Star Wars fan to enjoy it versus if you're forgetting if you're watching for forgetting Sarah Marshall we've all been in breakups we can relate to that pineapple express if you smoked weed or knew someone who smoked weed you probably could watch the movie right knocked up same thing we've all if if anyone's ever been in a situation where you're like what if i would have had a kid when i wasn't expecting it um super bad were three men talking about uh star wars on a podcast uh, we also were in high school at one point. That's a huge population right there. So like, yeah, this movie was, was it too nuanced? Like, what was it? Here's my counter argument to that. Super bad. Dion and I were touring, but by this point, so tell me if you, if you had the same kind of thing, I didn't see the trailer for super bad cause I wasn't watching TV and it wasn't YouTube era yet where everything was on YouTube or online. So I just heard that a movie called Superbad was good and I had no clue what it was about, but I saw it anyway. Knocked Up, same thing. Pineapple Express, I definitely didn't smoke weed, but I liked the actors in it, so I saw it. Forgetting Sarah Marshall, didn't know what it was about. Didn't see it until years later, still watched it. And none of those premises really like would reel me in. I mean, to be fair, either did fanboys. I didn't, I didn't see it. Sure. But I feel like even if you aren't into Star Wars... That was in the, this was in the wake of the biggest sequel event of all time stretched over, you know, like nine years. So it had gone full mainstream again. And then even if you weren't into Star Wars, I could see, I could imagine someone seeing the trailer and saying, oh, I'll go laugh at those dorks. Cool. This looks funny with these yeah. actors that I like. I mean, at the, at the heart of it is basically a heist movie with some, exactly. you know, it's, it's a road trip heist movie. You know, if you look at really uh, even before that, you know, you had literally the movie Road Trip, right? You know, uh, that came out, and then you had Euro Trip, which which was a Mm -hmm. terrible, terrible semi sequel to that movie from the same makers. So you know, it's kind of like a road trip heist movie. uh, You know, Ocean's Eleven on wheels, uh, not quite as classy, but you know, yeah. But at at a time at a time where like like Hollywood was making comedies at this point because if you look at like yeah this if you look at this this these other movies at the same time right Superbad comes out in two thousand seven 
Knocked Up, also in the same year, 2007. Pineapple Express, 2008. Forgetting Sarah Marshall, also 2008, right? So like you are, and then when would 40-Year-Old Virgin come out? That was around the same time too, right? Probably right in there. Yeah. and then six maybe? Oh yeah. And then you've got This Is The End and you've got, so you've got this like, kind of gold like this is the apatow era right this is the end of will ferrell this is the transition out of old school this is like this is where movies are still you know you're you're at this point like adam you said like i like the actors right because you know that if it's a comedy i think people used to be like it didn't have to take much to go laugh with my friends it was still a a cinematic experience right so i think this was trying to fit in there what's interesting about it too is that i'm curious to know how many people, because let's also look at like where pop culture was at the time too, right? Spider-Man was still super corny, mm-hmm. but but we liked it because it was well done, right? Sam Raimi's trilogy the, was, you know, but you know what I mean? Like, like argue, arguably say, like Spider-Man 2. Is, I would say, I would say the, the comfortability that we enjoy as what would previously be considered as nerds yeah. when we were younger, yeah. comfortability that we enjoy now the door was opening to that in the early 2000s. Agreed. But it hadn't quite hit yet. Because of movies like X-Men and Spider-Man being massive hits. And they were still campy in their own way, like 100%. They were campy. I mean, but the, it, I, I mean, with Sam Raimi, that's to be expected. But, right, you know, me right. as a Sam Raimi fan, I'm like, this is a, this is a great Sam Raimi movie. That's, well, I think, I think what's interesting, like on that, on that point, though, because, Dion, you're bringing up a good point, is like, is, is the, movies, the movies that started to take the superhero genre that were kind of now starting to roll out the red carpet for people to come into what normally it was like, I'm not going to see a comic book movie. Like I'm a jock. Like, hell no, I'm not going to see Spider-Man was Iron Man. Yep. Iron Man came out in 2008 and Batman Begins came out in 2005. And then the dark Knight, arguably the greatest comic book movie of all time came out in 2008. So like argue with you there, (laughs) but at the, at the same time, 2005 was Revenge of the Sith after two movies that are arguably, certainly by audience rating, by by critical rating, Phantom Menace, Attack of the Clones are the, at the, lo- the, the lowest. They're at the bottom consistently. Yeah. yeah, I think Attack of the Clones is the lowest rated Star Wars film out of the nine films, if yeah. I if I remember correctly. So that track. So we're we're kind of in. If you're looking at the fact that like there wasn't really that much time, the idea of people going. It's a road trip to go see the Phantom Menace. Like, I'm wondering how many people of our timeline were just like, that doesn't sound that compelling because I was yeah. literally the kid who watched it in the theater and I didn't, I thought it was fine, but then everyone was mad about it. So it's yeah. like, I wonder if that almost like kind of kicked it back. Well, it's, it's interesting. We're getting a little ahead of ourselves because this is like really relevant stuff to this, this later discussion. But I mean, you guys are completely right. And I would say if this movie was made right now from scratch, it would kill. Yeah, I think now is a better time than any to make. I agree because I think I think I think it was too close to like uh, if you really put it in perspective of Revenge of the Sith came out four years prior. Mm-hmm. It's too close. Yeah, it's yeah. there. There's like the so what. There was no nostalgia yet. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There, it's like the the so what. We're we're still in the middle of these prequel trilogies, basically. Yeah. Like we we just got them. So I agree. Well, let's talk about the box office. There are reasons for this beyond the quality of the movie or the timing that we'll talk about shortly. Box office revenue, U.S. domestic opening, opening weekend. Have you guys read the notes yet? I'm looking at them right now. I'm just waiting for you to say it because it's it's painful. It's, God, it's it's brutal. 
Opening weekend, $171,000. Gross, U.S. gross, $688,000. Not even $1 million. International gross was $272,000, giving you a worldwide total of $961,000. Less than a million dollars. Opening weekend in Australia. Did you already read this number? Both of you guys already read this number? I can't believe that. I, I don't even, I would have assumed that like they would have sent the number over and then someone would have been like, sir. Are you missing a zero? Uh, yeah, right. Like, or, or something being Are like, missing this, two does, zeros? this doesn't even fit the currency conversion. Like, what is this? Opening weekend in Australia, $2,100. Not $2,109. Hey, your movie was shite. They did make up some of it ultimately. They almost broke even with the domestic video sales, oh. 5.3 million domestic. Where were we seeing this? Were we going to Blockbuster still? How do we see this? Yeah, at that point, yeah, Blockbuster was okay. still happening. Redbox Movie Mania. was happening by then. Netflix was still sending DVDs. So, yeah, send me this, this thing with the super bad dudes about Star Wars. 90 minutes, I'll watch that. Yep. All right. Let's get into some of the stuff that didn't age well, and then we'll, we'll bring it back around and try to redeem this movie in some way with by talking about someone even worse, maybe the worst person that we can think of in Hollywood, um, to put a, put this stuff in context. So a few things that have aged really poorly, if you've watched this movie recently or if you remember, I mean, like, th this was, like, just a thing of the time. But notably, it wasn't in all the, the Jap Judd Apatow movies. Those movies were much more mature in this sense. The homophobia wasn't so much a thing there, but in this movie, it's, like, it's just, it's really bad, and it's a lot. The homophobia, yeah. the insecure, toxic, masculinity bullshit. Mm -hmm. Using gay as just like a miscellaneous derogatory term. You know, actual homophobic slurs, like ones that will not be repeated here. And we've talked about that in even movies that are beloved for comedy, mm -hmm. like Superbad. Like, you go yeah. back and rewatch Superbad, and you're like, man, dude, this movie, it's rough. The script is rough, and I know that's how— But it's a—dude, it's a fraction of this, though. I agree. And and everything like a little came back. sliver. Right, right, right. And it's just it's interesting. I think like in some ways, for as uh critical as we are of for as critical as we are about our society constantly, at least here in America, um, I'm in some ways like I kind of like I don't want to say I'm patting ourselves on the back, but I'm like, we've made, in my opinion, like some progress. I'm not going to say decent progress because that's not, I'm not in that community enough to be able to say that there is any progress, but like certainly from my outside perspective, yeah. um, it's, it, it is like, we have removed a lot of that stuff out of what I think is an acceptable lexicon for most conversations among people who are, for sure. you know, to, to yeah. people um, who are not pieces of shit. Well, yeah, well, that's a good way to put it, Adam. This is your podcast, but uh, I, I think it's I think it is crazy, like just seeing that this was like this was the best script we could put out. Yeah. Well, Han Solo was a bitch. What? Like you're like okay, he's like, not a bitch. He's not Patrick a Stewart's bitch. gay. Yeah, this right. news accent. Like, you're like oh my okay cool. It was rough, dude. Yeah. Dion texted me mid viewing, and we're like, Ugh. a lot of the uh, <laughs> all the homophobia going on here. Forgot about this. Yeah. You know, it's it's a it's a it's a thing like growing up in the 90s, the various like you're gay and emasculation jokes were definitely common. And I mean, I would say even up until the like early 2000s when, you know, around the time this movie was probably 
uh, being worked on, written, shot, whatever. Right. It doesn't age well. I will agree with that. Uh, even if it is, you know, good natured between friends. But, you know, I think that these kinds of taunts, you know, people kind of realize like, you know what? If I'm saying the same thing as this other person, then they're saying it in such a hateful way. I don't think this is something that I can continue saying sure, or yeah. that I should continue saying. Mm -hmm. I, I think there was like a whole South Park episode about this, just like, you know. But for me, uh, growing up in a small town in the South, as much as Florida can be the South at times, it, it's yeah. a world into its own, as we all know. Uh, we've all been here. America's appendage, yeah. <laughs> appendage is a kind word. Um for me, as as I as I mentioned earlier, uh, growing up listening to punk rock, skateboarding, wearing different clothes from everybody that I went to school with, uh, for, forgive me if anybody's offended, but being called on a regular basis was not something I enjoyed when I was a teenager and sure. you know in middle school. So it's these weren't jokes that I was ever wanting to use or comfortable with using because I had seen the hateful side of when it it stops being a joke and when it becomes a, th a threat, I guess, if oh, that yeah. makes sense. Mm -hmm. um, sure. You know, in the scope of the time frame, you had stuff happening like with Matthew Shepard. Right. Yeah. Right. You know, another, uh, uh, an actual homosexual kid who is growing up in a small town. And these types of things are literally, you know, life ending. Yeah. These types of things don't age well to me. They're jokes that I'm just like, they're just not funny anymore. Mm -hmm. It was stupid then and it's stupider now. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's it's and I, you know what? In all honesty, I mean, we, when you you go down the list of the movies that came around around the same time, um, Forty Year Old Virgin, which um, I actually did look up, came out two thousand five. By the way, oh yeah. wow, even older than these movies. You know, and there's the whole like you know you know how I know you're gay jokes. Right. Yeah. You know, it's just you kind of get barraged by them in this movie, and I, I remember you know going to comic book stores and being in these conversations, and that was. Unfortunately, the way that a lot of comic book nerds and movie nerds talked to each other at the time, you know, it was. It, yeah. So, I mean, it is like representative of the time for sure. Yeah. It's, it's definitely like it's, it's, it's period appropriate, but that doesn't make it any less comfortable or any more comfortable. And it doesn't make it any more like enjoyable now as I'm, I'm watching it, you know, 2023 versus 2009 right. versus 98, you know, it's like, and it wasn't, and it wasn't like slap. It wasn't like written to be like a Mel Brooks movie. You know what I mean? Like it was right. Like, yeah. you're, you're supposed to feel really good about this. And like, it just, that's why I think it, it's really goofy, but I have, it was pretty hateful in this movie, in my opinion. I mean, it was, it was, they were meant to be, they were meant to be stabbing insults and right. not just like, oh, whatever. Right. You know, like, right. Which is, which is weird to have those like moments in a movie that's supposed to make you like feel good about a friend and four friends going on this journey. Exactly. Um, yeah. but I, I yeah. have, a, I have a friend who the thing that, you know, she talks about is like the interesting reflection about some of these like small nerd communities. When I say small, I mean like basically every large fandom is that a lot of people who get ostracized out of a normal see a normal life end up taking a lot of that same hierarchical structure and bring it into their own fandoms where you have oh, you know, how, we, we know that toxic star wars fans exist we know that toxic star trek fans exist so it's almost like it's kind of uh, you know is this a reflection of that is this a reflection of oh wow you have a star wars t-shirt on name every jedi's lightsaber <laughs> you know what i mean like that yeah, kind of gatekeeping thing. yeah right 100 so it's it's i think i think we're 
I think we've we've got this point to understand that you know if, if we wanted to redo fanboys, um, there's a lot of this stuff that you can truly drop out or re, re- rewrite in a much smarter way that would not be that difficult. You know what yeah. I mean? Like making a good ver. Sorry, making a good joke versus making the easy joke. Sure. If that may, if that makes sense. Sure. The lazy joke. Yeah. Yeah. Just the oh yeah. Well, Han Solo's a bitch. It's like, eh, yeah, that, that doesn't really land anymore. That didn't really land then, didn't really land now. <laughs> right. It's like... A bitch? Like, what do you mean by a bitch? Like, he's acting like a female, and in your opinion, that's bad in some way? Or are you a nine-year-old? Like, no, I mean, like, a female dog. Yeah, you know, right. it's like... <laughs> yeah. You're an idiot. Yeah. I'll kick you off a cliff. All right. All right. Moving on. A few more, a few more things that haven't aged well, and then let's actually talk, tell a story here. There's also a depiction of Ain't It Cool News... The website founder Harry Knowles, who has since been accused of sexual harassment and assault, not a good guy. Um, he he was responsible for getting this movie a lot of buzz, and was promised that he would you know he could have a cameo in it. I don't remember when that went down the the allegations, so I don't know if that was the reason that he was portrayed by someone else. Nonetheless, you know, not <laughs> like the way not they a talk dude to be celebrated. Like, oh, exactly, yeah. dude, you're a legend. No. And just generally also the the Star Trek Trekkie hate and, and that it's not banter. It's like straight up hate between the two fandoms hasn't aged well, in my opinion. I, I don't feel it that feel it to be the same way anymore. I mean, some people still, you know, are, are diehard one way or the other. But I think like we've talked about a little bit, nerd culture has gone so mainstream that I think a lot of that has dissipated. And comic comic book conventions, comic cons have brought us together. This was actually a specific question I want to ask you guys who have been to multiple Comic-Cons or just conventions in general. Have you felt that there's any, like, if you're walking by, like, someone in a Star Trek outfit and you're wearing a Star Wars outfit, is there, like, a a West Side Story moment? Or (laughs) is it just like a, hey, what's up, bro? You know? (laughs) It seemed seemed a little extreme to me. And, you know, for a movie, sure. Like, I mean, you know, they are the two sci-fi juggernauts right juggernauts for sure they're metallica and guns and roses yeah but metallica and megadeth i dated a girl in high school who's uh briefly whose parents were were trekkies they went on like star trek cruises and stuff and sick i don't remember them ever being like yeah when we see star wars people we just gotta you know we gotta come (laughs) out we gotta come correct you know it's like i mean there was that that vibe was was very real and i i remember despite having grown up on Star Trek and loving Star Trek, denying that in the early 2000s. When the, when the prequels came out and I went, you know, I, I was fully re-engaged as a fan. I, I didn't like lie about it and deny it, but I was like, no, it's Star Wars 100% for me. You know what I mean? I just kind of almost just kind of left that out of the story sure. in a way for myself. Well, I, I can certainly say, I can certainly say that as someone who has never seen a Star Trek anything, Besides the memes, which are amazing, but um, mm. I the only Star Trek thing I've actually watched from beginning to end was the movie with Chris Pine, which is J.J. Abrams's two two thousand seven when that came out. Oh, two thousand nine. Two thousand nine. Okay, same year as us. Yeah. So that's my only interaction with Star Trek. Um, Great movie. I think. I think for on my side of things, I know that that's the commonality. That's the joke between anyone who is dressed up. There is, of course, we're going to have those. It's almost like a, it's almost like an introductory joke. Um, what I don't love is like when people, 
when they very easily, because like you have a lot of people in this community that are kind of, they're awkward people. There's no denying that. We know plenty of them. Um, when they do, like I, I saw like a whole crew do like Star Trek um, on the Halcyon, right? And I'm kind of like, mm -hmm. All right, like I get it. Like I am the main character. Look at me, blah blah blah. Um, I don't love stuff like that. Um, but I certainly, you know, if 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 you're at a hotel bar uh, over a convention and a bunch of Star Trek people's walk walk in, you absolutely should make a joke like, "Up, oh, looks like you know this bar is only big for one fandom, and it ain't, and we're already at it." Make all those jokes. I think everyone that I've met has been in great spirits of that. Um, I've never seen it like it. I've never seen it get that bad, but I also know that there's plenty of toxic fans in both yeah. communities. So I'm, I fully, I fully can believe it's, it's existed yeah. that. I, I kind of had an idea. So uh, we we're going to make a sequel of this movie, but it's just going to be star Wars fans versus star Wars fans. No yeah. kidding. So you're going to have your OT fans. No you're going to have your prequel fans. You're going to have your sequel fans. And you're, and you're just going to have your fans that just like everything. And then just along for the ride. 100%. And they're just going to all hate each other. If it was made now, that <laughs> is what it should be. Yeah. You wouldn't even need the Star Trek. You wouldn't no. even need the Star Trek development. Close. You'd be like, I, I, you, son, what are you watching? You know that we're an original trilogy household. <laughs> yeah. I watch Star Wars Theory every day. So uh, the vibe and depiction of the Star Wars fandom is interesting. We'll talk about that in a little sure. bit. But first, let's tell the story of maybe part of why this movie didn't do well or part of why maybe we, 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 I don't know. I personally didn't enjoy it. I didn't think it was a good movie. Here's the story. This was uh, released by the Weinstein Company. That was the, uh, the production company that funded and, and released this movie. Harvey Weinstein, maybe the biggest piece of shit I can think of off the top of my head. Um, he's a terrible person. He's I can a monster. Think of one bigger. He's orange. Sorry. Go ahead. Yeah. Well, maybe they should move <laughs> to like the moon together and just stay there with no masks. Um, this movie started filming in early 2006. Early screenings were overwhelmingly positive, apparently, including a screening at Celebration Europe in the summer of 2007 that got a four-minute standing ovation. Whoa. People loved it. Apparently. Whoa. Early cut. Weinstein was stoked, and he wanted to make sure it would test well for the general public as well as the Star Wars fans. So they did apparently one single test screening, which is bizarre to me. A sample of one. At a mall in New Jersey, where it actually scored 86 out of 100. Pretty damn good. He was pretty stoked. Okay, now mind you, if you've ever done a screen, have you guys ever gone to like a marketing screening before? Yeah. Like, there is an inherited built-in like... Hey, you get to watch a movie for free. Here's some popcorn. Mm -hmm. Did you like the movie? Like, there's certainly a bias that gets built into that. Yeah. And they know that because, like, they can use all of this as a marketing pitch. You know, right. watch the audience react to this amazing movie. You know what I mean? They do this. But anyways, yeah. it's still, it's it's a high score, right? Like, it's a high score. Yeah. So he seemed to love it at first, supposedly told the director at the screening, I haven't had an experience like that in a movie in a long time. We're putting this on 2,000 screens we're going wide. You guys knocked it out of the park. Super pumped. But that apparently wasn't good enough for him. Citing test screenings of a couple other movies released by the Weinstein Company at the time. Arthur, an animated movie that I don't remember at all. Arthur and the Invisibles. You guys remember this? Nope. And a movie called Janky Promoters, which starred Ice Cube and um, Omar Epps. Okay. Also don't remember that at all. Both of those movies scored in the 90s for their test screenings. So Weinstein Makes sense ordered, that we would not remember that. 
So Weinstein ordered a bunch of changes and reshoots. He's like, we got to get these numbers up. We got to get it to test <laughs> like janky promoters and Arthur rookie numbers. and the Invisibles. This guy's an ass bag. The janky God. promoters even go to theaters. I feel like that was like a, a that's like a TA Travel Center truck stop find. Dude, I didn't like even in the, exactly. in the dollar DVD bin. Yeah, I didn't even recognize the cover. I mean, love Ice Cube, but have no memory of this movie. So Weinstein ordered a bunch of changes and reshoots. The cancer subplot was a big po- point. He wanted that to be re- as removed as possible, right? I think he wanted it out entirely, but the reshoots and everything ended up ending abruptly, which we'll get to. So it's still there, but it's it it's so little that when I was watching it, I was like, is this the worst screenplay of all time? They just like mentioned this. I just They just throw it in there. And then it's at the end, like, what? Like, well, come on, man, he's dying. Like, what? Carrie Fisher, like, helps him not die for, like, another. <laughs> it's, yeah, it's. There There was definitely that that feeling when I was watching it where it was, like, that, you know, when they first mentioned it, you're like, okay, this is how we're reeling the best friend back in, right? Sure. Right. And then it just kind of falls by the wayside. There's no, like, discussions of, you know, like, there could have just been one line of, like. I'm too we, sick for this. You, you, <laughs> or, or like you, you know, uh, you, you haven't even you haven't even been around enough to know that I got cancer, bruh. You know, like, sure, yeah, sure. like yeah. there's like no setup for it. You no, know, yeah. stuff like that. Like because there were those moments of like, like, bro, you after high school, you just moved on, and it seems like he's more upset about the fact that they didn't become comic book illustrators for than sure. The fact that his best friend wasn't around when he got a cancer diagnosis. Yes. Right. Because they it was so spotty that you know they were using all these different cuts of the yeah. movie to piece together the final cut. And it's Eric like, doesn't even talk to him about the fact that he has cancer at all, right? They don't ever discuss it. Do they even say what type of cancer it is even? Like it's no. so nondescript. Like it's just like, hey, uh you you probably got cancer. You should probably uh you should probably try and steal a Star Wars film. You know? I've got <laughs> Toe cancer. It's like when, when he asked him to come outside at the party or whatever, yeah, or, or come outside from the uh, the garage or whatever, and he's like, "I need to talk to you." I thought they were gonna talk about the cancer part, and I, I like I thought the friends were withholding it from the main character, from Eric, you know, and mm-hmm. he didn't know, and I thought it was about to get exposed. I was like, "Oh, that that's a twist," you know, but it it just didn't happen. Yeah. It's bizarre. So he survived melanoma for a couple of years and then it finally got him. Right. Okay. So, okay. This tracks. This makes sense. So they all but removed. Apparently Weinstein said something like cancer's too serious for a fun mo- movie. It's too dark. Um, and, and apparently the director, Kyle Newman and Harvey Weinstein just butted heads throughout the whole thing. All, all the reshoots and changes. He was super bummed because the fan, again, like the fans loved it. Mm-hmm. Kyle Newman actually said that, that the studio pitched something like, quote, why don't we get Rogan back in, you know, come back for some reshoots, get him in a fat suit as a woman and let him wrestle Fogler and Baruchel in jello for car parts. And he apparently at one point, they also wanted Harry Potter references in the movies. And Kyle Newman at this point put his foot down and, and was like, dude, Harry Potter didn't even exist in 98. So no, that, that's stupid. It's not happening. And it shit just went super south from there. It reminds me of uh, the documentary of, about the Nicolas Cage Superman film that never oh. got made, which Kevin Smith was actually a part of Right. Uh, for a moment. Um, there's a producer in the, in the documentary at one point that is like, you know what? I don't really like that he's got a cape. Oh, And it's just like, you're like 
like how out of touch are these people that these these are the purse strings holder mm-hmm. holders that and you, the guy is saying you know what I don't like that Superman has a cape it's like <laughs> Superman is the cape bro do you even Superman <laughs> yeah it's like I mean the like the these like I I, I texted Adam after he sent me a, a YouTube video just talking about the drama around this movie and. Yeah. I text him after I'm like, it's it's pretty amazing when you've got so much money that you can just be like, you know what, we're just gonna take a three million dollar bath on this because we can't see eye to eye on something. Exactly. Yeah. Like, are you kidding me? <laughs> so they brought in directors. You know, once Newman started to kind of put his foot down, they started bringing in directors and scheduling reshoots behind his back, including Oof. while the dude was on his honeymoon. Oof. They brought in Steve Brill, who did Heavyweights, Little Nicky, Mr. Deeds, like a, a ton of Adam Sandler stuff. He's been a producer and a director on a lot of it. Um, brought him in for some reshoots, and apparently he rubbed some people the wrong way, coming in with like a, hey, guys, I'm here to save your movie kind of vibe. So at this point, people are displeased enough, and it's been going on long enough that word of the reshoot starts to get out, and the Star Wars fandom apparently lost their shit and started sending hate mail to Steve Brill, Okay. And the Weinstein Company, apparently over 300,000 emails sent to Weinstein Company. Like, this is somebody running, like, an early internet bot at this point. Nonetheless, they just got completely bombarded and sent one to Steve Brill that said, quote, you suck for recutting fanboys. You suck. You truly suck. Something like that. So Steve Brill responded. Dude, don't read the comments. First lesson. Responded, <laughs> quote. Pre, pre-internet days. Yeah. Rookie move. You suck for mailing me your bullshit whining. You're going to like fanboys better because of me, and then you can kiss my ass. And then that hit the news, of course. And there was also a MySpace campaign to stop the recut and reshoots called Stop Darth Weinstein from Ruining Fanboys, calling for boycotts of other Weinstein films. (sighs) It's just like it completely blew up in their face. So that's why we didn't get Kill Bill Volume 3. I knew it! (laughs) So... Screenings started going out of the reshot and recut version. They didn't test any better. So Weinstein at this point, with all the hate mail and everything, just said, F it. Let the nerds win. Apparently that's the quote. Gave Kyle Newman three days to, to re-edit with the new footage they had. Had to keep in certain new stuff. You know, they, they completely reshot, like, the, uh, the interrogation scene and all stuff, so had to leave some of it. Had three days. And then... Weinstein proceeds to release the movie, not in the 2000 screens that he originally told Newman that he would, but ready for this? 44 theaters in the United States total. So there's your opening weekend. Like, yeah, there it is. Not that, not again, it's not a good movie in my opinion, but if it would have at least been <laughs> one theater in every state, that would have uh, helped. 44. There are over a hundred movie theaters in LA alone. Yeah. (laughs) Just, uh, you know what I mean? I'm like, man, talk about like, Oh, like brutal. And and that's, that was probably, that's probably like the, that's probably like Harvey Weinstein at his best. That's what a ship bag that guy is. Yeah. I I think, I think the term for that is called starving the beast. Mm. And it's when you intentionally cause something to fail and then you point to it and say, see, I was right. (laughs) Yep. It wasn't going to work. The Spider-Man meme. (laughs) Man. He threw out something apparently also that was like, well, if the Star Wars fans really love it, you know, they'll find it. They'll rally and they'll find it and they'll support it. Okay. Even though it's not even in their state or the surrounding states. (laughs) Yeah. 
If they want to fly all the way to New York City or L.A. to see this movie, they will. Yeah, I wonder how many states it was actually in. Like, Because you ha- you'd have to assume between New York, Chicago, and L.A., San Francisco maybe, that's half of those theaters, Probably. at least, that they would have put them in. Right. And however many have, you know, at the time contracts with, you know, right, a- right. A- AMC and, you know, all of these other ones had contracts with some of these companies that they had to show, Weinstein Films, Miramax Films, whatever. Yeah. So, I mean, there, I, I say there's a good chance that it wasn't even in some fans' states. Yeah. Period. For sure. Oh my gosh. Or even like within driving distance for sure. Oh, if you were if you were in if you're in Indiana. Omaha, Nebraska. If you're in Nebraska, <laughs> if you're in the Dakotas, like buddy, you ain't seeing that movie. Yeah. Yeah. Missouri, for that matter. Where's like, that? I don't even know if that's the Arkansas. State. Arkansas. Yeah. Never heard of it. Nope. Uh let's re- really quick kind of uh just say a few more things about the Star Wars fandom at the time versus the time it was released versus now. Because this movie was something that Ernie Klein started writing in 97 leading up to this release because apparently I I think it was his mom had cancer and he started thinking about, well, if I had cancer, I might not be able to see this movie. Yeah. 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 So he, he starts writing the script and it took him years to write the fandom at that time. and, And this is like, this helps me kind of like forgive how one dimensional the fan base is portrayed because it really kind of was like this at the time. You know, you, you, you have that like that super gatekeeper shit like we were talking about earlier where fans, you know, people who were nerds want to want to have their clicks. You know, it's just human nature. You know, it's, it's very tribal. That whole, you know, well, if you're a real fan, then tell me X, Y, Z, you know, some deep cut detail. The kind of thing that you only like get so deep with when you have a really limited amount of content. You know, there was, there was only the original trilogy at this point. You've got toys, you've got a handful of video games and a bunch of expanded universe books and comics. So unless you're like an ultra nerd, it's the toys in the movies. So it's, it's all the details that like my dudes, like you and other prop and armor builders obsess over for the sake of the props and the armor. But back in the day, it was like, that's all you had was to go, in the in super deep and figure out oh boba fett's helmet's flipped uh, the image must be flipped on that one. Oh, let me read about that you know it was deep 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 stuff yeah and the fa- and the and the, a lot of the fandoms were existing on message boards like it was mm-hmm. the the relaying of information i mean dude like posting findings of something and then going like th- like at the time like there were still a ton of people who did not have high speed internet still like the idea of going to a chat a chat board a message board like they're literally talking about in the movie mm-hmm. like that was like a site like bleeding cool or any of these other sites that were basically like pre you know leakers like there there really wasn't a uh highly accessible thing like that interconnected us like facebook until 2005 so like mm-hmm. if you were getting details of leaks about certain information it was either in a, an official leak or it was, you know, someone who worked on the set and then had to work behind an alias or something. It's like people right. were coming and looking for this stuff. And I think too, like, there's also a side of where Hollywood still to this day um, has tropes that they've leaned on for decades, mm-hmm. right? Like the fact that, you know, it's like, we don't know what to do with Kristen Bell's character. And like, w- what's his name? Hutch? Just blatantly being like, lift up your shirt lift up your shirt you know i'm just like oh this is this is obnoxious and then she goes over and that's like that's her 
that's like she sees herself as like that's that's her value, right? And then mm-hmm. Windows being like, but you're not like a real girl. Like you know, in, you know stuff as if like, oh, it's crazy to me that like a woman would actually like, watch the movie and pay attention. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like these tropes, these tropes have existed in Hollywood for so long. And I think like this one, this one almost just because I think we're, we're a little bit more sensitive to it, of course, after years and years of, of kind of pulling back the curtain on some of this stuff, but it just really looks it's in some of this stuff. It just hasn't aged. It just has not aged in that, in that sense of, of going like this, this isn't even that creative. You're just, it's literally almost comical dumb. at how yeah. tropey it is, you know? That, that, the, the lift up your shirt scene definitely felt like a non-Star Wars fan writing a, oh, like, well, if this guy thought that he could use the Force, he would definitely just want to see some boobs. Yeah. You know, like, <laughs> yeah, 100%. It, just, it just felt, it felt very just like, oh, this is what I would do with the Force, you know? Like, even the dialogue with that kind of stuff, you know, the, the way they, the nicknames and the, the quotes and stuff that that they throw at each other, it just seems like I I had a feeling, I I anticipated it feeling like kind of quaint going back there, you know, to that era, but it didn't. It just felt dumb. Like, it just felt like, it felt tropey. Like, all of it felt super tropey, even though Ernie Klein is like the dude when it comes to nostalgia. I mean, Ready Player One is, like, the book is a masterpiece. It's like one of, it was one, Steven Spielberg made the damn movie. It was like one of, the the biggest books, most anticipated, uh, you know, the, theatrical or movie adaptations. Yeah. But it's, I don't know. It's just I. I this is a, again a podcast where we don't like to talk shit, but it's just a lot of it's really dumb. I, I think I don't feel bad talking shit because I think it portrays us in an unfair way. It makes me wonder how much of what we got is the is his original script versus. Right what he had to keep in from the reshoots and there it's one of those things like well we spent money on it so you got to put it in yeah, yeah. like yeah. you know eh. or someone someone reading it from the outside and being like you know even even like the opening scene right like the, they're they're outside and of course like there's a whole house party going on but the three friends that arrive together don't talk to anybody else in the in the party they're outside and he's like the rocketeer has a jetpack boba fett's not a bad you know it's like yeah uh uh-huh like yep for sure like of course this is like you know this is all we've talked about yeah so yeah first of all a a star wars fan would not would not compare boba fett to the rocketeer first (laughs) of all (laughs) like come on now that made me it's yeah i i will say i i i have to say like that that party scene uh I, I thought of you, Mike, uh, when that happened, because like there was a time if you busted in as like Vader and the Stormtroopers, people would be like, eh. But now you bust, you, you bust into a party if your Stormtroopers precede Vader walking into a party or a bar or whatever. People are stoked. You want to yes. you want a costume party. You want a costume contest that wasn't even happening. hundred yeah. percent. You know at yeah, that point, for sure. For but sure. in '98, like I, that's one of the things I appreciate is is there was that you hear in the background that obviously just kind of like overdub of you were the same thing last year or yeah, something like sure, that. Sure, like, sure. Yeah, yeah, people yeah. are just like, whatever, here come the star Wars guys. And they're yeah. absolutely like movie correct. Right. <laughs> costumes, you know? So then you, you think about when this was made. So he started writing it, you know, before the prequels, mm-hmm. this movie was made and released 
starting the year after the prequels, four years after, almost four years, right? So the fan, the fandom was in a much different place. And Dion, you referenced this earlier, talking about how, you know, you watch the Phantom Menace, you had never heard the word Sith unless you read some, some deep lore or you had heard about Lucas's original notes or whatever. But our, our world, you know, the, the world of Star Wars, the universe of Star Wars was completely blown up. So there was so much more to learn. There was so much more. I mean, immediately I finished Revenge of the Sith and started reading a book the next day. You know, like it brought down the bar for being a nerd. Sure. It made it more accessible because it, it mm-hmm. was so mainstream. I mean, it was everywhere. Like I have a, an entire collection of food packaging and shit over here from Star Wars, like Burger King and the Skittles. Pepsi and cans, everything. man. And Pepsi, like all of it, you know? Yoda. Jeez, that was a summer. I mean, it was huge, of course, in the 80s, but nothing had been like that until the prequels came out again. So it elevated the fan base and then bare minimum doubled the lore in, a, in, a, you know, in terms of what the average fan fan is into. So conversations I had back then were much different. I mean, the website was like popping off. The magazine was popping off. I did an interview because story of the year was, you know, right at our peak when Revenge of the Sith came out. I did an interview for the, uh, for starwars.com and it was cool. It wasn't like a dorky thing that my band didn't want people to see. It was like, dude, that's sick. Post it on MySpace or whatever the hell it was, you know? Um, <laughs> it's going to my top eight. So we were in a totally different place. And then now post sequels, well, actually between starting the year before this movie came out, leading all the way up until all, all up to the Disney acquisition and then the sequels and everything, the animation popped off and then we get a whole new trilogy and now we're up to 11 Star Wars films and I can't count the number of series. And it is so drastically different that, again, I can't stop talking shit, but it makes every single element of this movie seem so incredibly dated in a way, none of which is endearing. Sorry for complaining so hard. Yeah, and again, I think that I think a lot of that just comes down to, and you know, and obviously, I mean, you don't have the foresight to know that Disney's going to purchase uh, Star Wars and we're going to get a whole series based on a brand new character like the Mandalorian, or right. Right. you know, that we're gonna that we're gonna. Yeah, by the time this movie was made, um, you know, Clone Wars was already happening. Like mm-hmm. the the series was already happening, right? So. If you told somebody then, like, oh, one day we're gonna get a whole, we're gonna get us, we're gonna get a, a mini series about Ahsoka, you know, it's like you, nobody's got this foresight then. So, but I don't think you need that foresight to write a good movie about Star Wars fandom. You really don't. That's the kicker. <laughs> yeah, and you know, again, I would love to see that eighty-six, that eighty-six percent score screening that that cut of the movie. Versus what we just viewed, you know. I wonder if Ernie Klein's original screenplay is out there, actually. I'd like to read that. I'm just curious. I'm just curious. In this day and age, why? I mean, there's probably some, like, you know, copyrights and all sorts of crap that's out there. Um, he he maybe maybe he's not a big well, I enough. Think, I think you know Weinstein. Weinstein probably got his own issues going on right now. So I say let's start well, that yeah. up. Let's get the Twitter going. Let's get the well, yeah. you know release the. Uh, like, release release the, the OG. Yeah, release Come the cut. On. What's what's the guy's name again? Release Kevin's cut. Uh, we could do that. I mean, yeah. certainly, certainly, I think like the the parts that make this movie, um, that make this movie not awesome f- for me is beyond the tropes and beyond the fact that like you know you you have this endearing relationship of 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 four friends that are connected by we have this united love of Star Wars, but like the people along the way. 
And I think that's what the community feels like um, among here, at least for us, whether that's through emo or punk rock or whether that's through Star Wars or whatever these other sub communities that we've built. Um, it's that you do have that people are able to be the people that they want to be and to see that, uh, you know, after gosh, however many years it's been, even since this movie came out, right? Like we have, you know, now we're 13 years, almost 13 years later after this movie came out with so much more Star Wars stuff like both of you guys, both of you guys are talking about. Think of how many fans were reignited as older fans because of The Force Awakens that have mm -hmm. joined the 501st, that have yes. attended their first convention, that have like signed up for a Patreon or like started building props or got into 3D printing or all of that stuff. That's what makes the community be represented. It's not, you know, it is, it is, it's a trope to say that, you know, Star Wars, Star Wars and comic book people are nerds. It's literally the most profitable sets of franchises right now oh. between Pokemon, Harry Potter, Star Wars, Marvel. There is nothing else out there um, that exists like it, possibly besides pro sports. And I would say that people can't even agree on that. Um, yeah. so it's really, it's really not like, I don't know. And, and pro sports and, and fandoms, Star Wars, it's the same thing to me, you know, dress yeah. up, dress up in your costume, go cheer exactly. for things and talk about it all the time. You have no effect on the final product, uh, collect, yep. your, collect your trinkets, do all that stuff. Like it's the same thing. Right. Um, but I think, I think in some regard, I think the, the, the core of how you would rewrite fanboys to make it work is by actually sharing what makes these communities special by highlighting the good parts and not the bad and that's let's do it let's rewrite that's our it. pitch yeah and and i think i think that's that's one of the reasons i would be interested in seeing the original cut because it seemed like it was done out of a place of love right? all that cut i mean yeah. it was at a star wars celebration yeah so the 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 star wars fandom that saw that original cut were overwhelmingly stoked on it yeah and we're talking about an original cut. We're not talking about a final cut, right? So 86% of the people liked it. What if they took that and like, where, where are the 86% without even really trying? Let's push it farther, you know? Yeah. So yeah, it's, it's, well, it's a weird thing. Well, maybe, maybe one day someone has that cut. Somebody has it. Somebody that's not earning a client. I'm, I'm sure everyone involved, they remember how a lot of the stuff is aged poorly. A lot of the, the the social tone deafness and just like innate bigotry of the time was there and they're probably like mm, let's just mm, let's just let's put that behind us you know hindsight being what it is would have done it the same way yeah <laughs> all right we uh we've gone super long on this so let's we do i don't think that i mean like let's find another fanboys reaction that goes an hour and a half i mean this is yeah we're putting the work we're doing it <laughs> all right we're gonna do a really quick den of antiquities and then we're going to get out of here because it's going to be a hell of an edit tomorrow. For over a thousand generations. It is the dark saber. Oh gosh. It's a Calicori. A Sith Wayfinder. Dark science. Cloning. Secrets only the Sith knew. The Den of Antiquities, Easter eggs, deep dives and so on. This whole movie is an Easter egg, but there were a few things that I thought were worth calling out that weren't quite as obvious. We mentioned some things about the, uh, the reshoot and, and some stuff like that, so... Got like half a dozen here. Mike, you want to read these? Sure. So uh, there's probably a lot more if we were to go back and watch this bad movie, but uh, I think we have a decent little grip right here. 
Um, well, first of all, Hutch's van is called Slave 2. Now, of course, post uh, Google, uh, when you're Googling Slave 1, Grandma wants to Google Slave 1 uh, Star Wars, um, is probably going to turn up in Google search some pretty interesting stuff. So mm-hmm. it is now being referred to as Boba Fett's starship, uh, as he calls the Fire Spray, which is the model of the ship. Uh, so Hutch's van, though, at the time, he's still called the Slave 1, is called the Slave 2, which makes sense mm-hmm. the side of the van says fanboys backwards and orbesh so we have a shout out to uh this is, of course goes back into where star wars uh has kind of uh flopped flip-flopped on itself about uh where some of these original fonts were from uh sometimes the graphic designers on the show don't use old stuff and sometimes it's fan made and blah 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 so it is backwards but it does say fanboys on it but it's also it's not just the characters aren't mirrored it's entirely back, literally spelled backwards. backwards yeah so i yeah. wonder if they did the die cut sticker and they were like oops forgot to flip well, it nobody yeah. will notice yeah. yeah yeah um a big a big point of course is when they're escaping from the police and they go to you know you can actually hear the sound of the millennium falcon powering yeah. down which i thought was pretty funny so if you use those sounds everywhere that, it's great yep yep there's all kinds of stuff and then you know obviously uh r2 screeching and all of that by design so there's plenty of things in the movie um that there are great little details all over the place like you can see that there's clearly a lot of people who were fans making this yeah. um lucasfilm security of course are dressed as the police from george lucas's first student film then term feature film THX 1138, the guys with the silver faces, which you could certainly say, uh, I believe, are uh, inspiration for Enoch from uh, Thrawn's uh, new undead army uh, with gold gold face. Uh, in in that movie, they're they're nameless police officers. So I think that's it's a it's certainly not they weren't trying to hide it, but I think it's funny that they were walking around at Skywalker Ranch. Yeah, I did love the line of like. You make us wear this. You make yeah. us wear right, which may, would make sense. Um, so the Millennium Falcon, when they hold it up and everyone's like, whoa, whoa, as if it's like the actual filming model. Uh, the Millennium Falcon in that was literally just a power of the force Millennium Falcon. That thing was about uh, 60 bucks at your Toys R Us. <laughs> uh, and it absolutely should not have been in Lucas, Lucas's personal office. Uh, but I thought it was funny that he picked it up and everyone's like, whoa, 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 whoa. Um, the interrogation scene at Skywalker Ranch was reshot. The original head of security was William Kate, who is from the movie Carrie in 1976 and, and uh, was also in... Uh, what does this Adam say? The, the greatest American hero, uh, a 1980s show. It was like a superhero show. Right. He has a face. He's a, it's a, that guy face for people who are older than us. They probably know exactly who he is, but he, he was in the, uh, Butch Cassidy and the Sundance kid, um, like prequel. Got it. It's called young Butch and the kid or something like that. Yep. He played, um, one of them and he, he has this, uh, God, he looks like somebody else, but he's, a uh, you know, He's a handsome, blonde-haired, you know, old-school Hollywood hunk-looking-ass dude. You'll sure. recognize his so, face. Reshot by uh, Danny McBride himself, uh, who would later go on to become Danny McBride, as we know him as Danny McBride. Um, the scene where Windows runs into Kevin Smith and Jay- Jason Mewes at the gas station was directed by Kevin Smith's longtime friend and producer Scott Mosier as one of the Weinstein-ordered reshoots. Uh, so it was certainly a cameo put in there. It didn't make a whole lot of sense. Didn't add anything to the movie, uh, but then again, to say that you would have Kevin Smith and Muse in the movie was probably a cross-promotional thing or to get 
names on credits or favors, whatever happened. Uh, but they were certainly in it. And that's the story behind that. Snoogans. Other details, like, you know, if you look through when they go into the quote unquote, the archives, there's like probably 20 things in there. Those were not really <laughs> the archives. Um, and I hope people know that uh, there's all kinds of stuff like there's more toys in there than anything. There wasn't anything that actually seemed of substance. A lot of that was Don Post stuff. The Vader helmet was wrong. The chess box was wrong. Like <laughs> it was hilarious. So um, yeah, the Den of Antiquities is, I, I would like to go through and probably re-add to this, but I think for now it was a fan, it was a fan loved film. I can see while people were working on it and that's cool. Well, this has been quite a trip down I can't say memory lane because the first time I saw it down a <laughs> historical avenue. Yeah. 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 It's been a, an interesting dissection of what I think is, while not a quality film, like an interesting piece of history, an interesting historical document that I'm, I'm glad we could check out. And if nothing else, it puts into perspective, like how far we've come culturally and as a fandom. Sure. And it's a nice reminder that, Harvey Weinstein was a piece of shit on all levels, and it's great that he has been extricated from our lives. Society, yep. Yeah. For sure. All right. Um, Dion, you have something coming up that you should probably shout out, right? With your band? Yeah. Uh, Amberlin is playing. We're doing back-to-back -back nights here at a venue in Tampa. It's going to be our singer Steven's uh, last two North American shows before he takes a break from touring. One of the nights, December 15th, is actually going to be live stream. If you if you uh, did not get a ticket to the shows because they sold out pretty fast, uh, you can get a live stream ticket if you just want to watch it from the comfort of your couch, which is something I would do as a 43-year-old lazy person. <laughs> but um, yeah, we've got, we've got uh, basically what are they're essentially holiday shows slash uh, Steven's send-off a week from tomorrow. Nice. At the time of this recording tomorrow. Getting ready for that. It's uh, daunting. We're going to play some uh, a few deep cuts that we haven't played in a while. This uh, We kind of asked Stephen, hey, what, what are some songs you want to play that we don't normally play live and stuff like that. So it'll be, be a fun time. Always a fun challenge. Yeah. A little bittersweet, but also fun. Hawthorne Heights can be on that show, which is we all know and love the Hawthorne Heights dudes. So oh, yeah. that's going to be fun as well. And then just in general... Um, Catch me posting very sporadically on Instagram at <laughs> nice. Rex wrote. <laughs> That's about the only uh, the only place I am active on social media. I assume everyone can um, find links to the the is is it a stream that you pay for or is this a free stream? What's the deal? Uh, yeah, no, it's going to be a ticketed stream. Um, if you just go to amberlin.com or if you go to any of the Amberlin social media uh, social media properties, there'll be links to. Uh, everything as much as i would just love to just make it a free stream obviously people that paid to be at the show would be pissed right so, for sure so yeah there there's uh anything you want to know can you just go to amberlin.com or at amberlin instagram amberlin facebook all that all that information's there um there's a link that'll take you to any ticketing things or if you're if you've already got a ticket to the show and you want to grab a vip add-on package you can do that there as well sweet it's it's all in one place it's how we do. Nice. On the internet. Um, yep. We have uh, some fun stuff coming up on the podcast in the next few weeks, despite having no new Star Wars stuff to cover. Well, there's something kind of. So the, a documentary dropped yesterday at the time of this recording on December 5th. 
a documentary about the Star Wars holiday special called A Disturbance in the Force that apparently people are super stoked on. Wow. I'm probably going to watch it tomorrow. We're going to cover that next week. Mm-hmm. Wait, real quick, where where can we watch that? Because I I literally just found out about this right now, so I I want to watch it. Oh yeah, next week. it's on it's on YouTube. Oh, okay, it's YouTube. on YouTube. Okay, I think you can yeah, I think you can rent it or buy it, but I think it's it's pretty affordable. I think it's only like two or three bucks. Yeah, getting that for Easy. show. I wouldn't even pay that for this uh, movie we just reviewed tonight. So <laughs> <laughs> I just bought it. I bought it for seven bucks. I just did it. We're also going to do something, probably not the week after next, maybe the last episode of the year. Maybe we'll do it after the new year, but I want to do it sooner than later. We did recently an episode where we pitched our own Star Wars stories. Mm -hmm. I thought it would be cool to extend that exercise, this fun little game, to the patrons and let patrons submit Star Wars stories to do like a story pitch contest, essentially. This will be open to... I'll take a look at the tiers and see if there's anything that limits this. But nonetheless, open this up to the to the patrons, submit, and then we'll, you know, between the four of us pick maybe our four favorites. We'll each read one or something like that. Sure. Um, and then whoever is the winner, maybe we'll select finalists. Maybe we'll do a poll to see who's the winner. We'll work out the details. Maybe have that person come on and pitch it in more detail oh, on, like another, on, you know, the next week or something like that. So I, like I just it. thought that would be fun to get some more ideas out there and um, engage more with our patrons. Patreon.com slash thank the maker pot is where you can go. If you want to be one of those people who supports this thing and makes it possible, we appreciate it a ton. Um, also, moshisley.com is the place you want to go. If you want to get tickets for Mosh Isley Orlando, which is February 3rd, the weekend of MegaCon, you can also get merch there. We're doing merch bundles just like we did last time around where you can buy on the website and pick up at the show. It's a lot easier. We have sold a lot of tickets. It is going to be a crazy good party. Uh, So please, please, please uh, make sure you get your tickets. Don't sleep on it. Buy your Christmas presents. Buy your holiday presents. Do whatever you got to do. But this one is already like we have two months left to go. And we are over, over, over halfway sold out. So like. So selling a lot faster than the past. Yeah. Couple. So as it gets closer to MegaCon and like we'll be involved with Roosevelt's and Roosevelt's just announced that they're having the pre-party for Mosh, which is really cool. Uh, so if you want to get one of those exclusive shirts like we have, uh, definitely just sign up with Roosevelt's and then get in. But make sure you have your ticket to Mosh. So let's do it. Also, shout out to Heroes and Villains. I just uh, I got some stuff from them the other day. Sorry to cut in on the uh, representation here, but uh, to go back to Mosh Isley, I... Since you guys are going to be so close to me, I am going to be dropping in, and I'm so stoked. What? Nice. Are we revealing so that Dion's going to be at Mosh Isley on this episode? I'm just going to throw it in now, I since I'm right it. here. Spoiler. I, I mean, the only the only thing that's going to stop me is if the fact that uh, I will be completely jet lagged from just landing from Australia <laughs> a few days prior. But no, that's good I, for I'm you. Stoked. Um, no, it, that's a, a good party is good for curing jet lag. We all know this. Yeah. So I'm I'm excited that you guys are going to be in Orlando and I'm excited. I'm going to be there hanging out. Super stoked. Good times. Like I said, um, got some stuff from heroes and villains the other day, which is dope. Got a backpack, got a bunch of like accessories and things. They're super dope. And we're partnering with them going forward. Um, maker 20 is the offer code. If you want to get a discount on your first purchase there, I don't know the discount off the top of my head. Uh, we're, I'm all over the place with this, but maker 20, no spaces. We'll share it. Yeah. We'll start, we'll start to share that. And, uh, maybe we'll do show and tell next week cool. with our stuff. Let's do it. All right. Dion, thanks again for being here, bud. 
Thanks for having me. It's so much fun. Good times. As always. Am I am I the uh am I the only um three-time guest on the show? You may be. You're the only three-time uh bass player guest. I know Ooh, that. Ooh, I like that. We'll see. Rhythm section very representative here. If there's uh if there's another three-time guest, we'll set up a cage match between you and that person and you might have to vanquish them. Yeah, we're gonna win. That's fine. All right. Let's go. Patrons, thanks for being patrons. We love you, everybody. Thanks for watching and listening wherever you're watching and listening from. And until next week, may the force be with you. If you enjoy Thank the Maker, you can support us by following and leaving a review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen. Or you can support us directly at patreon.com slash thankthemakerpod, where you can get access to our Discord server, exclusive content, exclusive merch, our recording live stream, and more. Our patrons quite literally make Thank the Maker possible.